0: Song will be 916. 916. We'll say good morning to you all. Certainly, certainly glad to have each and every one of you here. Certainly appreciate your presence. If you're a visitor with us, recognize that a lot of other places you could have been, and we're, we're thankful that you've chosen to worship with us here at La Prada. We appreciate your presence. Thankful to God for uh, Day that he's touched each and every one of us and woke us up, that we are able to worship and assemble together. And hope that the words that are taught today will be edifying and encouraging to you. The topic for today is wiles from the devil, or wiles of the devil. Have you ever been deceived or tricked? I can think of situations where I've been deceived by deceptive salespeople or just liars in general. In those cases, it caused me to lose time. Perhaps it caused me to lose even some money. It doesn't feel good to be deceived. No one likes that feeling. We used to know that each one of us has an adversary who is always looking to deceive, to trick, and to fool us with his wiles. However, the stakes with this adversary are high. The impact of his deception is so much higher than just losing time or money. His adversary is seeking to devour. He's seeking to steal, to kill, to destroy, and to turn you from your heavenly father. He's seeking to lead you to eternal damnation. Now, if you don't already know, the adversary that I'm speaking of is Satan. Are you ignorant of his devices? Are you aware of the things that he uses, the things that he does to trick you, to deceive you, to turn you from God? If you aren't aware, you really need to make the effort to gain the wisdom and learn to recognize them and to not be deceived because the stakes are so high. But thankfully, we find instruction in God's word that tells us how to counteract, how to face this deception from Satan. You really need to be aware because you are in Satan's sights. You're in the crosshairs and he wants to destroy you. Here's the thing. We don't have to be continually deceived. You shouldn't enter into 2024 falling for the same tricks, the same traps, the same deception that has hemmed you up this past year and times past. So yes, we need to study. If we need to equip ourselves from God's word, we need to heed his warnings from his word and seek guidance from his word. And that's what we hope to do today. The text we want to focus on today is found in the book of Ephesians. It's in the sixth chapter. However, we're going to take just a moment to understand the background and context to ensure that we don't take things out of context and make application where we shouldn't. The book of Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to God's people living in Ephesus, people who had placed their faith in, faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In the first three, three chapters of this book, there's a great emphasis on doctrine and teaching. For example, we read that we have redemption and forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. We learn that we were dead in our sins and we used to live according to the way of the world. But God has made us alive in Christ. He raised us up and made us sit in heavenly places with Christ. He has given us the Holy Spirit as a pledge or a down payment of our inheritance that we will receive one day. These great things are given because of God's grace. Not because we have earned them. Not because we have deserved them. It is a gift from God and not anything that we can boast about. However, getting into the fourth chapter and on through the end of the letter, the letter becomes very practical as it tells how we should be living as Christians based on the doctrine that was laid out in the first three chapters. For example, Paul exhorts the recipients of the letter, the Ephesians, to live in a way that is appropriate for you are now in God's family. He speaks on the gifts to the church that are here to equip the church so that it can grow and serve God. He tells us to be imitators of God and our need to walk as children of light it tells of behaviors that we need to shun and do away with and of behaviors that we need to pursue and do. He speaks on a number of relationships and how they should differ for those of us in Christ. For example, relationships between husbands and wives, relationships between children and parents, and relationships between masters and servants. And finally, that brings us to chapter 6, where we want to focus on this morning. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, Verses 10 through 13, we'll read here. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all stand. Paul tells us to be strong in the Lord, but not with our own physical power. No, our own power is insufficient. It isn't enough to face our adversary. He says to be strong with the strength that comes from the Lord. He says that we need to use the armor that God has given us so that we can stand against the tricks and tactics of the devil. Paul is helping us to understand that we are in a battle, a spiritual battle. We're wrestling, we're struggling against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. This is no ordinary struggle. I'm convinced that if this were a physical battle, it would be easier to fight. When someone attacks you physically, you can see them. You can see the attack coming. You immediately know who your adversary is. Once you get hit once or twice, you realize the fight is on. You're on high alert, and it's time to fight, or it's time to flee. But since this is a spiritual battle that we're in, the fight isn't quite the same. In the first chapter of the book of Job, we get a glimpse of the spiritual battle we're in. As Satan accuses Job before God, and then goes on to attack Job with no mercy. Job was married. He had seven sons and three daughters, quite wealthy. Satan took all the lives of Job's children. He took his wealth, he attacked his health, and he left behind his wife who encouraged him to curse God and die because of all that he suffered. At that time, Job didn't know what was going on. It was the Sabaeans that attacked and stole from him, it was the fire from God of heaven that burned up his sheep and his servants. It was the Chaldeans that stole livestock and killed more of his servants. And it was the great wind that caused the destruction that took the lives of all his children. There appeared to be multiple enemies that attacked Job. We have the advantage that we can read the scripture and see that Satan was really behind all of this havoc in Job's life. Yes, Satan attacked Job and he was doing all that he could to get Job to sin and to turn from God. During Paul's missionary journey, he visited the city of Ephesus. While there, Acts 19 records a riot that occurred that could have destroyed the great work that was going on in that city and throughout Asia. The Bible records that the whole city was in an uproar. The people were full of wrath because of the effects of the preaching of the gospel. The Bible lets us see that Demetrius, the silversmith, and his group of hardheads, They may have been the face of the opposition against Paul. Yes, Demetrius and his cohorts, they appear to be the enemy. But ultimately, Satan was behind all of this trouble. Satan was behind it. We just completed a study here at La Prada on Wednesday evenings, walking through the book of Revelation. In the book, John wrote about the persecution that God's people endured. And we learned who was behind all of it. The Bible told us it was the old serpent called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. John told of a third part of the stars of heaven that were cast down with Satan when he rebelled against God. Yes, it is Satan and all of these who we struggle against spiritually. Rome may have been the face of the persecutor in the days of the revelation, but ultimately it was all Satan. So yes, we are in a spiritual battle every day. We may look around and think that we are battling with our fellow man. We may think that our neighbor is our enemy. Our demanding boss is our enemy. Our dishonest co-workers are our enemies. The angry driver who cut us off on the highway is our enemy. And so on. But no, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. That's not who our true enemy is. We can waste so much time fighting with our fellow man when we should recognize a Satan. The one who is standing behind them is our true enemy. Contending with such an enemy requires that we put on the whole armor of God and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We need the armor of God so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. So what exactly are these wiles that we're supposed to stand against? The word wile means schemes, methods, tactics, or strategies. If you're old enough to remember Wiley Coyote from the cartoons, you remember him always having some kind of scheme or trick to help him catch the roadrunner. I liken that to Satan, except that Satan is very competent in what he's doing. The wording in the text we read lets us know that all of us are susceptible to being deceived or tricked by Satan. He is patient, and he will use your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities against you. His wiles serve to deceive, to mislead, and entrap us, and ultimately lead us to hell. So let's consider just just a couple examples of wiles that we all face in life. I believe that Satan uses our own lusts and our own desires to tempt us to sin. Let's consider the book of James. It says, Blessed is the man that endured temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and entice. The then and lust hath conceived, they bring it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. As we live, we will face trials in life. That's understood. James writes that the trials, that we face that can serve to strengthen our faith, strengthen our patience. In the verses we read, James says, Blessed is the man who endures trials, for when he is approved, he shall receive the crown of life. Verse 13, you see, acknowledges that we will be tempted when we face trials in life. However, James makes it clear that God is not your tempter. For God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt us to do evil. The source of your temptation is actually within you. It is your own lusts, it is your own desires that allow you to be tempted to cheat, to steal, to lie, to envy, to hate, and even more, all to the dishonor of our Heavenly Father. Satan, the tempter, presents sin to you as the best choice. Satan convinces you that it is okay to give in to your desires and yield to sin. Some of the things that cause us to fall into into temptation include the love of money. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and the snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Those who desire riches fall into temptation in the trap. No one wants to be poor, but that love of money tempts people to do things that they would normally never do. There are people buried in cemeteries today because of what someone else was willing to do for money. There are broken relationships because of the love of money. So many bad things have occurred because of the love of money. Moving on, let us consider 1 John 2. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. John writes about a love that exists for the world, and things that are in the world. A desire for things that we lust a desire for things that we see, and a pride that exists because of our possessions. What are the things that we love in that way? In some cases, I think these things can be, appear as uh, trivial or harmless, perhaps something like a hobby. Everybody needs a hobby, right? We all have jobs. We all have the normal things of life that keep us busy. So it's nice to have a hobby, something that you can do in your free time and just enjoy. But it's possible to let our hobbies take such a priority in our life that they become more than a hobby. They can take on the form of an idol as we give them all our extra time and devotion to the point that the weightier matters of life are neglected. So yes, temptation. Is a while. Temptation, whether it is a love for money or love for the many things of the world, temptation to sin is a while that Satan uses to turn us from God. Another while that Satan uses to turn us from God is the twisting and manipulation of God's Word to make us believe something that isn't true. Let us consider the account of Eve in the garden. In Genesis 3, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, had God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in that day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. As Eve communicated with Satan, she conveyed the tree in the middle of the garden was off limits, and that law was punishable with death. However, Satan twisted God's word and created doubt in the mind of Eve. He told her, You shall not surely die. And he went on to imply that God was keeping something good from her by making this law. The appeal of the fruit was there. So here we see the lust of the eyes. She was tempted by it. The fruit also appealed to the pride of life. For Satan told her that upon eating the fruit, her eyes would be opened. And she'd be as a god, knowing good and evil. She wanted that; that knowledge appealed to her. In the end, Eve was deceived. She ate, and she sinned along with Adam. In the same way, people are deceived today when God's word is twisted and manipulated. Let me consider this: a few recent examples from the news to illustrate this point, where God's word can be twisted and people can be deceived. The leader of a very large religious organization just recently affirmed that priests can bless individuals of a homosexual union. What changed the scripture to bring this about? The Supreme Court recently ended the recognition of a constitutional right to abortion. As this decision was protested, There are some religious organizations that claim the Bible is silent on this topic. What changed to cause people to believe that? There is another large religious organization that is losing an estimated 20% of its membership as they disagree over LGBTQ issues. And again, what changed in Scripture to bring this about? I believe that in First Timothy 4, Paul addresses this when he says, In the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Somehow along the way, God's word is rejected for false doctrine or teaching, a doctrine of devils. I believe that this is the work of Satan as he continues to deceive many today and pervert God's word and lead people to believe it says something that it doesn't. In 2 Corinthians 11, 13-15, Paul writes about false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And even of Satan, who disguises himself as an angel of light. These false teachers are all servants of Satan. They manipulate the truth of God's word and they lead people away from God. This is why there is a need for elders to guard the flock and ensure that false teaching doesn't make its way into the church and mislead God's people. In Acts 20, when Paul wrote to the elders from Ephesus, he told them to take heed or to pay attention, for they are overseers of the flock, and they are to shepherd and feed the church of God because the wolves are out there. The elders are the line of defense for the sheep. But this is also why we as individuals need to be in God's word more and more and more so that we can be skillful in the word of righteousness, able to discern good and evil, and not be used by false doctrine. We must recognize that it is not acceptable to be ignorant of God's word. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul told the church in Corinth that they were babies in Christ. And they were still drinking milk despite his expectation that they be more spiritually mature. In Hebrews 5, the writer said that people were dull of hearing. Or they were lazy in understanding God's word. He said that they should be teachers by now but they still needed someone to teach them the first principles. They were immature in God's word. There's a clear expectation that we are continually growing in God's word. The two wiles and schemes that we've discussed so far, temptations and the manipulation of God's word are what Satan uses to deceive, to mislead, and draw us away from God and the truth. They serve to weaken and even to destroy our faith. The list obviously is not Exhaustive, but I hope you see enough to convince you that these schemes and wiles of Satan do exist and that we need to be on guard. So, how do we stand against the wiles of the devil? How do we avoid being deceived by his schemes and his tricks that can draw us away? Let's consider Romans 15 and 4. It says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope we can look to the Scriptures for guidance. We can read of Satan's schemes and wiles in the Bible and see how it was handled by others in Scripture and learn from their example. So let us first consider Jesus and his example. In Matthew 4, the Bible tells us that then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. The Bible says that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for a specific reason. That reason is spelled out for us right there in verse 1. He is going to be tempted by the devil. The text then says that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. This same account is also recorded in Luke 4, except we find a few additional details there. Luke 4 tells us that he ate nothing during this time of fasting. Continuing in verse 3, it says, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The tempter, Satan, knew where Jesus was. He knew what Jesus was doing. And Satan knew that Jesus was hungry. In Isaiah 55 and 8, God said, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. So I acknowledge that the way that I think and the way that I look at things are not always the same as God does, even though I try to be holy as he has called me to be holy. I say that for a specific reason. I'm about to give an example here. So Satan comes to Jesus at what I consider a vulnerable time because I know how I am when I get hungry. I can be spiritually minded all day. Thinking on things that are just and pure and lovely. But, if you catch me at the wrong time, when I'm not at my best, I might not live up to and be as holy as I should. And when I'm hungry, is one of those times. <laughs> I'm not saying this is acceptable. <laughs> and I'm not saying that this is how the Son of God was in this situation. But I do recognize that he was the Son of Man, too. And that it is likely why Satan approached him at this time to tempt him when he was hungry to sin. And Satan said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be bread. And I can only imagine that bread would have been very satisfying at that time. But Jesus didn't take the bait. He resisted the temptation to satisfy his own desires or his own needs. And he quoted Deuteronomy 8 and 3, which tells of God allowing his people to face hunger in order to teach them that man needs not only physical food to live, but also spiritual food, which is the word of God. Yes, in this situation, Jesus recalled scripture and he used it to refute Satan. Picking up at verse 5, it says, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So the tempter took Jesus into Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from this high point, for it is written, the angels are charged to bear you up so that you don't even strike your foot against the stone. He appeals to the pride of life. If you're really who you say you are, then do this small thing. The messengers are there to make sure you won't even hurt your foot. So do it. Prove it to me. Notice that Satan knows how to use scripture too. He's not ignorant of God's word. Just like he did when he deceived Eve, he quotes a portion of scripture. But he mishandles God's word as he tempts Jesus to sin. The Messiah, however, uses Scripture to refute Satan's manipulation and twisting of Scripture. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6 and 16 saying, Thou shalt not tempt or test the Lord thy God. Satan was intentionally mishandling Scripture and prodding Jesus to test God and provoke God to action. But Jesus quoted Scripture once again to refute Satan. Picking up in verse 8, the Bible says, Again the devil taketh him into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. So next Satan took Jesus to a very high mountain to show him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory and splendor of them. Satan said, I'll give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Satan tries to tempt Jesus with the lust of the eyes and draw him to worship him. The power and glory and authority of the world he offers to Jesus if he will only fall down and worship him. Satan desired for Jesus to go against the commands of God, which forbade worship of anyone else but him. But once again, Jesus used the scripture. Deuteronomy 6 and 13, saying, It is written, You shall worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall you serve. He used scripture that points out the sin in Satan's request. Jesus overcame the attacks of Satan by using the word of God. He gives us an example to look to and to follow. Satan came with his schemes. He even used scripture to try to test the son of God to try to get him to sin. But in each of these enticements to sin, Jesus used scripture to refute it. The 11th verse of the 119 Psalm says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. And this is what Jesus did. The word of God was a guide that we might not sin. As we encounter the wiles And schemes and tricks of Satan, may we be rooted enough and knowledgeable enough in God's word that we can use it in the same manner and not turn to sin. Let's consider another example from scripture to learn how to deal with the wiles of the devil. Consider Joseph and his interaction with Potiphar's wife. In Genesis 37, we can read where Joseph was sold by his brothers to Ishmaelite traders that were headed to Egypt. And Joseph ended up as a servant in the home of Potiphar. Potiphar noticed that the Lord was with Joseph as everything that Joseph was in charge of prospered. But Potiphar's wife also noticed Joseph. But for different reasons. She wanted to lie with him. Picking up in verse 8 of Genesis 39, the Bible tells us, But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master water not what is with me in the house, And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He responds to her sinful request by refusing and then trying to reason with her. He said, my my master doesn't even concern himself with anything in his house because he's put me in charge. There's no one over me in this house. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? But she wouldn't take no for an answer. The Bible says that she spoke to him day by day. But Joseph was firm in his stance that he would follow the ways of God. His mind was made up. I believe that James 4 and 7 articulates what he did and how we should conduct ourselves in this kind of scenario. He submitted to God and resisted the devil. Even as he pursued a holy life with upright actions, trouble still found him. She lied about his actions and he was thrown into prison. So even when we recognize the wiles of Satan and we make the right decisions as we should, we can still suffer. Just like Joseph did. As 1 Peter 3 and 14 says, if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy or blessed are you. So don't let this concern of still suffering cause you concern. You continue to do what is right in God's sight. For a final scriptural example of how to deal with the wiles of Satan, let us consider the young prophet from 1 Kings 13. This young prophet lived in the days when God's people were divided into two kingdoms, Israel, or the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. Jeroboam was the king of Israel, of the northern kingdom. And as a new king, Jeroboam feared that the people would turn against him and want to reunite the two kingdoms. Therefore, he sought to prevent this. He wanted to prevent his people from going down to the southern kingdom, going to Jerusalem to worship at the temple the temple that God wanted all of his people to worship at. And so Jeroboam set up a whole system of false worship. He made two calves of gold to be worshipped. He built new places in his kingdom for the people to worship at. He ordained his own priests that were not Levites. So a whole system of false worship that he set up to prevent his people from serving God in the right way. Well, 1 Kings 13 tells of a man of God from Judah who was sent to speak against this altar that Jeroboam built. This prophet was given explicit instructions from God. He said, don't eat any food or drink any water with anyone while you're there, and don't even return the same way you went. So after going to the altar and proclaiming the message that God gave him, this young prophet proceeds to return home. Almost mission complete, mission success. However, on the trip home, he was confronted by an old prophet, The old prophet lied to this young prophet and the old prophet told him that an angel sent him to retrieve this young man. The angel told him to bring him home so that he could eat and drink. The Bible reveals to us that this old prophet was lying, but it never tells us why. Ultimately, the young prophet was slain because he disobeyed the command of God. It's a story that just doesn't seem fair. This young man followed God's commands. His defenses, I imagine, were up the whole time as he was in the company of the others that he went to proclaim God's word to. His defenses were up. He was on high alert. However, the old prophet came in and he presented himself as a man of God. And so the young prophet likely believed that he was in good company. He probably let his defenses down. He believed he was communicating with the man of God, but he was deceived, and he lost his life because of it we also can be, see, be deceived by the company that we keep. We may be fellowshipping with people that we shouldn't. Being deceived by those who are not living by the commands of God. We may find ourselves going and doing and embracing all the same things they do and not even realizing that we are displeasing to God. First Corinthians 15 and 33 tells us, Be not deceived, evil communication corrupt good manners. Who we spend time with matters. We influence each other for the better or for the worse. The young prophet was just fine until the older prophet came along, and he lost his life because of the influence of the older prophet. We really need to examine our lives and all our associations and determine if there are some relationships or some associations that need to be severed. Let us not be deceived or tricked by Satan with the company that we keep. As we make our way to a close, we must be alert. We must recognize that we are in a spiritual war. Satan is using his schemes and his wiles and his tricks to deceive us and to turn us away from our Heavenly Father. We need to be alert and we need to recognize that our adversary is seeking to devour us, to wreck our faith. This isn't a game. He is serious about it and we need to be serious about this too. Don't underestimate his power as an adversary. There's a reason he is compared to a lion. I hope that this message has served to make you aware or remind you of the wiles that Satan uses to deceive and our need to be alert and aware. May we consider the scriptural examples from today as we figure out how to face these wiles, how to deal with these schemes of Satan. An appropriate part two of this lesson would delve into the armor of God that Paul speaks of, in Ephesians 6 and 11 and how the armor that God gives helps us to stand against the wiles of the devil. Hope to present a part two of this sometime in the near future. We will offer an invitation at this time. For those who have not put on Christ, to those who are not members of the church, we can baptize you today according to the scriptures and you can be added to the church today. Perhaps there are others who believe the message, but you want to know more. We are ready to study with you and help you understand all that God requires of you. Perhaps there are some here that are susceptible to the wiles of Satan. And in times past, and you want the prayers and encouragement of the church to help you in the future. Make that request known if you desire. And finally, if there is anyone here in the assembly today that has a request of the church, you can make it known by coming forward to the front as we stand and sing the invitation song. Savior, calling me your friend.